nobody wants to be the worst at anything, do we? Uh, and yet, if I'm being honest, I think I relate to Dan more than I do the preacher in that video sometimes, because sometimes I think I'm the worst, right? Sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I don't feel qualified to do what I'm doing. Sometimes I just simply don't do what I know God wants me to do. And at those times and those seasons of life, uh, it can be really easy to feel like you're the worst. And listen, uh, if you can relate to that, maybe sometimes you feel the same way, I don't know, but if you can relate to that, you should know that you're in good company. Because when he was writing to Timothy, one of his own disciples, the great apostle Paul said this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. 1 Timothy 1.15 In other words, thank God for Jesus Christ who came to save sinners because I'm the worst of them all. And yet the same guy wrote these words. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1 so how do you reconcile great failure in the flesh to be faithful to God with great confidence in the spirit for others to follow your example of Christ likeness at the same time? What's well, because Paul's confidence wasn't in the flesh. It wasn't in himself. Now his confidence was in the spirit of Christ at work inside of him, which is why he was simultaneously able to recognize his own great weakness and the Holy Spirit's great strength at work within him all at once. Ultimately, it brought Paul to the place where he was able to finally say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. So think of it this way. If someone who knew nothing about Christianity or Jesus or the Bible asked you to describe a Christian, what would you say? Right? What, what does a true Christian look like? How are Christians supposed to act? What do real followers of Jesus do? Most importantly, would your answers to those questions be a description of yourself? It's really very important for us to consider because as Pastor John MacArthur says, you're the only Bible some unbelievers will ever read. That's why the Apostle Paul said we are ambassadors of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20. It's why the Apostle Peter said you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2.9. That's why the Apostle John said, By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 1 John 2, 5 and 6. And it's why Jesus said, I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. John 13, 15. Because for many people, you're the only representation of Jesus Christ they will ever know. And yet as Paul said, sometimes... Sometimes I'm the worst. Sometimes I don't feel qualified to do what I'm doing. Sometimes I just simply don't do what I know God wants me to do. 
So how in the world am I supposed to represent Christ to lost people when there's brokenness and failure and sometimes sin in my own life? The answer is, you don't just point people to your weakness, to your humanness. No, you point them to Christ at work within you, the Spirit who overcomes the world in you. Which explains why, if you're a Christian, you can and should be making disciples of Jesus Christ, even though sometimes you may feel like you're the worst. The worst Christian, the biggest failure, the weakest believer, because even the great apostle Paul not only felt that way at times, but he owned it, he admitted it, he confessed it, and he used it to shine a spotlight on the strength of the Spirit of Christ at work within him, even when Paul was at his very weakest. In other words, your weaknesses, your failures, your lack of faith, your inexperience, all of those things that we think disqualify us from fulfilling God's call in our lives to be disciples who make disciples. None of those things are an excuse for not making disciples. In fact, those very weaknesses, if anything, should drive you deeper into a willingness and obedience to the call of Christ to go and make disciples. Because when you own up to your own shortcomings and failures and sin, just like Paul did, that's when you learn that you have no choice but to depend on Christ to lead you into and through those opportunities to share the gospel with others. Because you finally come to realize that you'll never be able to fulfill that calling on your life by your own power or your own goodness. You understand that's all he wants from you. To learn to depend completely on him to do what he's called you to do. So look, at the end of the day, it's not about being perfect. It's not about being qualified. It's about being willing and obedient. Willing and obedient to the call of Christ for every believer to be a disciple who goes out of here and makes disciples. That's what the Great Commission was. It was Jesus simply telling his disciples to go and make more disciples. Disciples, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. Go make more disciples. That was the Great Commission. I'll send my spirit and he'll help you because you ain't going to do it on your own. So look, in, in case you feel like uh, you, have, you don't have the experience or ability to do that on your own, listen, you're off to a good start because you don't. That's why you need the Spirit of Christ to help you. And nothing will help you realize that faster than owning up to your own weaknesses and shortcomings and sin. That's where Jesus steps in to help you. And He will, as we'll see, as we look at the... We're going to look at the last six verses of Acts 15 today and the first 15 verses of chapter 16, which introduce the story of two young men who have a lot to teach us about what God is looking for when it comes to answering his call on our lives, weaknesses and all. And my prayer for you and for me, for Upcountry Church in 2021, is that through a childlike willingness and a humble obedience, we would accept that we cannot do the one thing Jesus has called us to do. 
We cannot do the one thing we've been called to do until we learn to embrace all the weaknesses in our lives that we think keep us from being able to do what He's called us to do. Understanding that those weaknesses are meant to drive us to Him and to His strength to do through us what we otherwise never could. And it couldn't be any more important than it is right now because of the state of our culture today and the response that God is calling us, Upcountry Church, to make in 2021. So let's turn there together to Acts chapter 15. We'll begin with verse 36 and read to the end of the chapter to start. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So back in chapter 13, there was a moment where John Mark, who had been traveling with Paul and Barnabas, turns back to Jerusalem, leaving his two companions on their own in the middle of their journey, and in a grueling journey it was. Six days to Pisidian Antioch, where they had to pass through very rugged terrain without any of the technology that we have today for travel, even the shoes that we wear are so much more advanced than the sandals worn by these early believers, right? And so they traveled 80 miles up through the river valleys, 80 miles, wearing these crude sandals. And these river, uh, river valleys were infested with bands of thieves and other criminals to eventually reach the Anatolian Plateau. It was over 3,600 feet in elevation. This was grueling and unforgiving travel. It was fraught with danger and discomfort and uncertainty, definitely not for the faint of heart. And John Mark quits. He quits. He gives up on the journey. He goes back to Jerusalem, quite possibly because of the strain of the travel, both physically and emotionally. It may have just been too much for him. We don't know exactly, but we do know his leaving took a toll on Paul and Barnabas, which shows up here in chapter 15 when it comes time for Paul and Barnabas to depart again. Barnabas, who happens to be John Mark's cousin, by the way, so there's probably an element of family loyalty in the mix. He wants to take John Mark with them, but Paul's having nothing of it. And the disagreement is so sharp between them, they decide it's time to dissolve the partnership and go their separate ways. Right? Barnabas takes Mark and he sails to Cyprus while Paul chooses Silas and heads to Syria and Cilicia. So keep all of that in mind as we continue reading now, chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So Paul and Silas arrive in Derby and Lystra, and Paul meets another young man named Timothy, who Paul decides is the perfect candidate to help him spread the gospel and continue strengthening and planting local churches throughout the region. 
he also couldn't have been any more different than John Mark. John Mark was a very well-connected individual in the early church. He was in the inner circle of those early believers. He was actually the son of Mary, whose house was the place where the early church often met. Mary's house was the first place that Peter ran to when the angel led him out of prison. It was Mary's house where the believers gathered to pray for those being persecuted, and John Mark was in the middle of all of that, being Mary's son. Again, he was the cousin of the great uh, apostle Barnabas. He was very close, uh, a very close friend and associate of Peter. In fact, uh, Peter refers to John Mark as his son in 1 Peter 5.13, which he meant in the spiritual sense, of course. And so John Mark was around and involved in some of the most significant events in Scripture at the time, including, as, as we just saw, traveling with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And of course, he ends up writing the gospel according to Mark, which we'll come back to later. The point is, John Mark was a part of the innermost circles of the early church leaders and the original apostles of Jesus, although not one of the original 12 disciples himself. So John Mark had the background, he had the education, the experience, and the pedigree, all of the impressive makings in men's eyes to be called and chosen for the most difficult, the most challenging, and most significant ministry opportunities for Christ that were available in that day. Timothy, however, that's a whole different story. Timothy was an uncircumcised, half-Greek, half-Jew, recent convert who couldn't be further away from the inner circle of the early church in Jerusalem. In fact, it's commonly held by scholars that Timothy and his mother, his grandmother, uh, had also all been led to Christ during Paul's first missionary trip through Lystra, which is referenced in Paul's second letter to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 5, where Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So here's the young man who does not have the experience, the education, the background, the associations, the history, the pedigree, none of the qualifications that one would expect you'd need to be chosen to become the closest associate to one of the greatest, if not the greatest church leaders of all time, the Apostle Paul. And yet when it came time to choose the one that Paul would mentor, to disciple, to raise up to take his place, Paul said no to John Mark and yes to Timothy. According to conventional wisdom and certainly in the eyes of men, uh, that choice makes no sense. But Paul wasn't looking for an impressive resume. He was looking for godly character, which was a reflection of the heart of God. And to be fair, by the way, to John Mark, he later becomes, as we know, a seasoned minister. He becomes a great apostle himself, according to the early church fathers. And certainly we know that Paul later came to love and appreciate and even rely on John Mark very much, according to Paul's own writing. So no one's sh uh, throwing shade on John Mark here. But at this point in the story of the early church, although Mark had the resume, the qualifications, the history, the experience, the connections, right, all of that, John Mark, by most people's standards, would have been the clear choice to accompany Paul on his journeys, and yet Paul chose Timothy. Because despite everything that Timothy did not have, what he did have was a willing heart. And Paul was far more impressed with Timothy's willing heart than he was with Mark's extensive resume. So when times got tough, John Mark, probably out of some immaturity at the time, 
caved to the pressure of traveling with Paul and Barnabas, and he ran home to his mother in Jerusalem, abandoning Paul and Barnabas. Yet Timothy, he stuck with Paul at times when no one else would. In his letter to the Philippian church that Timothy helped plant, Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest. That may have been a reference to John Mark. We don't know. Not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he served with me in the gospel. Philippians 2, 19 through 22. That phrase, proven worth, by the way, that Paul uses to describe Timothy in verse 22 is the Greek word dokume. It literally means approved, tried character. Paul was more interested in a willing heart than he was in an impressive resume. And so is God. No matter how qualified or unqualified you think you may be to make disciples of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, God is more interested in your heart than he is in your resume. Okay, God's not impressed with all the things that impressed mankind. He's certainly not up in heaven taking notes on this sermon right now. He's not impressed. There's no amount of experience, no amount of education, no body of work or any human accomplishment that will ever impress God. What he's looking for is people with willing hearts. What qualifies you to make disciples is not what you've accomplished for Jesus. No, it's what he has accomplished for you. Sharing Christ with others has nothing to do with your accomplishments or a lack thereof. And yet one of the primary reasons that people give for not answering the call to go and make disciples is they don't feel qualified or worthy because of their weaknesses or failures, right? Their upbringing, their past life, sins they've committed, mistakes they've made, the family they were raised in, and they've spent years accumulating feelings of shame and guilt and low self-worth to the point that they remove themselves from qualifying for any type of ministry. Well, listen, once you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins and become a follower of His, your past no longer has a voice in your future. You know why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ that poured down off of that cross 2,000 years ago at Calvary runs deeper than the deepest hurts and it washes away every ounce of sin and shame and guilt that we try to hold on to. Left to the devices of this world where you come from can have a great bearing on where you end up in life. But Jesus Christ changes all of that. He changes the course of people's lives. And he can take you as far as you're willing to go, regardless of your upbringing, your credentials, your past experiences, or the expectations of others, or the hurts that you have in your life. It's wonderful. Listen, it's wonderful to have a great upbringing. But that's not what defines you when you belong to Jesus. When you're his, you are redefined by the author of life itself. In fact, all that you need to answer the call of Christ on your life, to be a disciple who makes disciples. All that you need is a willing heart. So regardless of how experienced or inexperienced you are in ministry, regardless of where or by whom you were raised, regardless of your experience or lack of, right, regardless of what you've done or not done in your past, God is not looking for an impressive resume. He's looking for a willing heart. 
He used a stuttering 80-year-old man to lead an entire nation to freedom. He used a young boy with no battlefield experience to defeat Israel's greatest enemy. He used a prostitute to protect Joshua's men and ultimately bring victory to the people of Israel in the fall of Jericho. He used tax collectors and fishermen to change the world and he used a murdering Pharisee bent on the destruction of the church to establish his church and to write much of the New Testament. When you follow Jesus Christ, your past has no voice in your future because God is more interested in your heart than he is in your resume. So stop worrying about what you have or don't have what you've done or haven't done, and just be willing to say yes to the call of Christ, to make disciples of Christ. And I'm telling you, He will use you to do just that in profound ways. As we'll see as we finish this story for today. Verses 6 through 15. And they went through the region of Fergie and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting a sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days and on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside where we were uh, supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She prevailed upon us. So Paul and Timothy and their team are going to Asia. And the Holy Spirit says no. Okay, so they head to Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit says no. So instead, he sends them on a 400-mile journey on foot to Troas. And then Paul, clueless about what to do next, having repeatedly had his plans shot down by the Holy Spirit, he's given a vision to go where they weren't planning to go, to share the gospel with people who were not a part of their plan. Well, what about the people in Asia and Bithynia? Don't they need the gospel? Well, certainly they do, and God had plans for that later through Peter. It was certainly with the best of intentions that Paul and his team intended to go there, but God had other plans, plans that had nothing to do with Paul and his team's plan. So they chose obedience, and I love verse 10. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. He received the vision of the Lord, a vision for us to preach the gospel to them. And that's exactly what they do. Paul and Timothy and Luke and Silas, this tight-knit group of believers, respond to the vision that God has for them, and they go and share the gospel to a group of women in Philippi. And one of them, Lydia, comes to Christ. 
Her house becomes the church at Philippi, the first church that Paul plants in Europe, and Lydia becomes a prominent leader in that church, which helps to spread the gospel throughout Europe. And so in spite of all of Paul and his team's plan, God has other plans, which leads to Europe being evangelized through a house church started by a Philippian woman. Listen, not because of Paul's great planning, or Timothy's vast experience in evangelism, or Lydia's background in church planting. No, but because of their obedience. You see, God can do more with your obedience than he can with your talent. And look, it's great to have talents and abilities and experience and to know what God created you to do and go after it. But sometimes we can become so confident in our own talents and abilities and experience and knowledge and what we already have that we stop relying on the voice of the Holy Spirit to guide us and instead we stick with what we know. The problem with that is, even with the best of intentions, sometimes our plans are not His plans. Sometimes when you're planning to turn left, he wants you to turn right. And it is in those moments when what you want is different than what he wants. That's when you have to choose fidelity to your plan or obedience to his. Many of you have heard the story. I won't draw it out, but years ago, God called me and my family to move to Alaska, 5,000 miles from here. And at the time, we owned two small businesses, but they were successful. We owned three homes, boats, cars, motorcycles, all of the things my little heart wanted. And we had to sell all of it to move to Alaska to live inside a, an apartment that was in the church building up on the second floor <laughs> for a fraction of what we were used to making and do ministry there full time. And it was a wonderful, by the way, it was a wonderful three years, transforming. But then one day called, uh, God called again and he said, hey, it's time to move. And we had to sell all of our stuff again and move 5,000 miles back to a little town called Traveler's Rest to plant a church. And I distinctly remember getting back here and sitting in a little ramshackled building across the street that needed repairs I didn't know how we'd pay for with no income, not knowing how we we're going to pay our bills. And I remember saying, God, why would you send me all the way to Alaska to give up all my stuff just to bring me back here where I started? I could have just stayed here to begin with and started a church and kept all my stuff. But that wasn't God's plan. Because there was work that needed to be done in Alaska. Listen, not only for those souls in Alaska, but for us in preparation for this. Which brings us to today. Because I want you to know, from the day it was me and Mary Beth and my three kids and a handful of other people, we have diligently sought after the heart of God year after year after year for His vision for Upcountry Church. From the moment God brought us here, to plant this church. And year after year after year, he's spoken very clearly about our mandate to make disciples of Jesus Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. And we have done that consistently and we have done that faithfully through all of the ministries that happen here. And the results have been dramatic. We don't have time to go through the testimonies today of what God has done 
in this community, in this city and beyond and right here in these walls, in people's lives and hearts. It's been nothing short of an amazing thing to be a part of. And every year we analyze every single ministry. And if the mission is not being met, if disciples are not being made, we cut it off with prejudice and we start something else. No sacred cows. That's been our motto in this church. Listen, none of that's going to stop. Okay, we are going to continue doing what God called us to do, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. As long as I'm breathing and I'm here, that's what we're going to do. But some aspects of it are going to change because as easy as it would be for us to keep doing what we're doing without changing anything because it's working, I'm telling you, we've heard the voice of the Holy Spirit telling us it's time for you to turn right and do some things differently. Which means we have a choice to make, church. Fidelity to our plan or obedience to His. Because it's one thing for us to come here to be discipled, which is good and necessary, and all that's going to continue. But are we going out from here and making disciples? That's what He's been talking to us about for the past few months now, and so that's what the changes all revolve around this year. Making disciples who go and make more disciples. So I'm going to very quickly here outline some of those changes in some of our department-specific ministries for 2021. And then I'm going to ask Pastor Jason to come and tell you about the final part of this vision that involves every single one of you. So quickly, starting in kids' ministry, Amanda Rhodes is taking the lead in renovating that entire ministry. She's writing original curriculum specifically designed to lead our kids on a journey through the scriptures for the express purpose of discipleship in their lives and from their lives to their friends. To create a space, which is physically, by the way, going to change over there in the weeks to come. We want to create a space where kids want to be and want to bring their friends to, not just to make a fun new space but to create an environment of discipleship, a culture of discipleship for our youngest and newest members. Pastor Jason and Amanda have already begun establishing a culture of discipleship in our youth department, making disciples who make disciples, not only through the youth services, which have exploded in attendance which with more than 50 in here on some Wednesday nights, but they're teaching discipleship training on Sunday afternoons and then sending our teenagers out into their own mission fields, their schools and sports teams and jobs and neighborhoods to make disciples. And listen, it's working. The proof's in the pudding. You show up here on a Wednesday night and you'll find a room full of teenagers who you don't know. Because our kids are making disciples. Mary Beth Rucci is turning our C3 college and career class into a college and career church this year, which will become a church within the church where our college and career age members are not only discipled at a deeper level, but they're going to be discipling others with their own Sunday evening services here, including C3-led worship and teaching and discussion groups, college and career age members who will also be participating in our college age outreach arm of the ministry led by Mike and Sandra Westbrooks, our upcountry Chi Alpha missionaries who we commissioned last Sunday as they lead our C3 teams to reach the lost at our local university campuses. So we're no longer simply discipling our college and career members. It's disciples going out and making disciples in 2021. 
One of our greatest outreach opportunities since the inception of this church has been our second campus at Solutions Recovery in Greenville, where upwards of 300 men and women live and work towards recovery from addiction every day. And as good as the ministry there has been, and I'm telling you, it's been incredible. It is getting even better as we are engaging new team members, new people who are going down and teaching on a regular basis. And Pastor Alex is now becoming the Solutions Recovery Campus pastor who will not only be coordinating those services and leading Bible studies there and resourcing our team leaders and team members who already serve there, but he will also be focused on pastoring and discipling men and women who have uh, opportunities. Listen, some of those folks have opportunities to share the gospel with people who would never give you or me the time of day. We're believing that through this deeper level of connection and discipleship through Pastor Alex and our team leaders and team members that we're going to reach far more Solutions members and their families than ever before this year. And by the way, we're opening that campus up to the public so that anyone in the community that wants to attend or serve can get involved and they can bring their friends in as well. Hannah Jones has done an unbelievable job with our online media ministry which I will admit, if our online presence wasn't where it was when this pandemic started, we wouldn't be where we are today. And I just want you to know that because I'm being honest. If you're anything like me, I never put a whole lot of stock in online church until that's all there was. Point being, our presence online, whether you realize it or not, has had a massive impact on people, not only in this church who haven't been able to physically attend, but it's drawn people literally from around the world and all over our country into our congregation. We know because we're getting testimonies and reports and support from people far and wide. And most of all, being online and so many different digital platforms has helped us to stay connected when we couldn't be in the same physical space. And I'm telling you, I'm deeply grateful for that. The best news is Hannah is passionate about all of that and is planning to expand all of that this year. So you're going to see some changes in this room as we expand our media suite upstairs and uh, we add to our lighting and equipment that's going to make the online experience much better and much more accessible for a lot of people. It's disciples making disciples. One new ministry that we're introducing this year is an additional step in our Next Steps ministry that we think is going to become the biggest step of them all. So if you've been here for any length of time, you know that we have Next Steps classes that anyone can attend as a pathway to involvement in Upcountry Church. And the way that's been happening is you take these four Next Steps classes on a Saturday where you learn all about our church and our mission and our vision for the ministry. And then at the end, if you choose to, you sign up to be a part of one or more of those ministries. There are about 29 or so ministries right now at Upcountry Church in total. But Janie Board came to us this past year with a burden and a desire to expand next steps, or more specifically, to add a step after you take the four classes to sit down with Janie or another leader as she continues to train others to do what she does, where she works with you to discover your gifts and your calling for ministry. Because listen... Every single one of you has gifts and has a calling for the ministry. But we don't always know exactly what those gifts or what that calling is. So Janie is going to help you discover that and pursue it. She's, always, she's already been working that program with our youth leaders. It's been incredibly effective. And we believe that process is going to make us far more effective in disciple making 
in 2021 as more people find their best fit for the ministry. And that's all of that is a very quick thumbnail sketch of some of the ministries here that you may or may not be a part of. This last ministry that we're going to talk about today is one that every single one of us can be a part of. And I'm just telling you, if you're not a part of it, you absolutely should be. In fact, we consider our community groups to be the tip of the spear when it comes to disciples making disciples for that very reason. Because this is the one ministry that every single one of us can engage in. And yet starting this year, well, they're going to look a bit different. Pastor Jason, our youth and discipleship pastor, is going to come and tell you about it. There's never been a clearer picture than what you just experienced with Pastor Rob walking off the stage, someone who is qualified, and me walking on. <laughs> i tell you what, I, I, uh, I am so thrilled and excited to be here at Upcountry Church here in Traveler's Rest, here in Greenville County. There's no other place in the world I would rather be. And I'm excited to uh, let you know what, what the staff, Pastor Rob and the, the, whole, the entire staff, believe that, that God, what God, God has called us to do this particular thing in, uh, with community groups. I, I want to just quickly piggyback on what Pastor Rob was talking about, disciples making disciples. And if we look at uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat with their father and followed Jesus. If we look all throughout the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, uh, that, that explained and showed and modeled what Jesus did, oftentimes, see, if Jesus when he first came on the scene in his ministry, if he wanted to reach the, the multitudes and the thousands and the thousands and the thousands, he did that and he could have done that more. But Jesus knew that his purpose was to, to disciple 12 men and then to ascend to his Father and send the Holy Spirit. He knew that, yeah, I can gather the multitudes, but what I need to do is to pour into the lives of these 12 men who will pour into the lives of others. See, Jesus had one method. It was those 12 men. Today, Jesus has one method to reach and to disciple Traveler's Rest, Greenville County, Pickens County. You are that method. You are that method. You are that method. I, I know this, and, and this scripture is not going to pop up. I'm sorry, Hannah. But John chapter 1, verse 43 through 45 says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee, found Philip, 
And he said to Philip, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Philip then found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. So what did Jesus do? Jesus picked these disciples. Jesus picked uh, Philip and said, come and follow me. And then what did Philip immediately do? He went and found Nathanael. You are God's method. You are God's strategy. And there is no plan B. There is no plan B. Guys, never before in my life, when I grew up in Georgia, have I seen, have I seen church, 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 church? You, you know, we used to say there's a church on every corner. On our corner, there's four. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely crazy. And that's okay. I mean, we, all of Traveler's Rest is not reached. I mean, bring on the churches. But I want to tell you, the way we're going to reach Traveler's Rest is the same way the disciples uh, uh, reach people in Jesus' time. They poured their lives into them. They discipled them. They went immediately and they picked people. And so here's how our uh, uh, you know, community groups are going to begin to work. Now, it's not going to be a well-oiled machine immediately, but I want to tell you this. Instead of saying, hey, uh, community groups are something that, you know, we're a church that does community groups. We're going to become a church that, uh, community groups that are a church. It's not, it's not going to be something that's, oh, that's, oh, yeah, you could be a part of that. It's pretty cool. No. Here's what I'm asking each and every person in this room to do. How many people would say, I call myself a follower of Christ? Some people aren't raising their hand that I know are followers of Christ because they're afraid of what I'm going to say next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a follower of Christ, you are qualified to reach and disciple. That's exactly what Pastor Rob just said. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And next week, I'll be in the back and we'll have some sign-up sheets and some different things like this. And, and we'll, we'll work this process. Don't be intimidated by what I'm about to say right now. Don't be intimidated. But what I'm going to do and what we're asking you to do, instead of saying, hey, we've got four community groups and each one has about 485 people in them and we meet, you know, once a week. I'm going to ask you to pick five people. You. Say me. Yeah. Only, only Mary Beth said me. I'm going to ask you to pick five people. Now, some of them can be friends within the, the church here. But the goal would be, man, pick a couple of people from your neighborhood, from your workplace, students from your school. Pick five people and say, these are going to be my five people that I begin to pour my life into. Now you would say, well, Jason, what, you know, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a scholar. I'm not gifted in, in that. Listen, we're not going to ask you to study a book that we give you and you have to read every week. And you know, no, what we're going to do every single week, we're going to give you uh, questions that will help you to facilitate a conversation. You're not teaching. You're facilitating a conversation. We'll give you those five questions that are going to come directly from Pastor Rob's messages 
each and every week. So you know what? We're all going the same direction. We're all growing and learning together. How easy is it to say to your neighbor, hey man, we've started a little, you know, a little get together. You know, we do it once a week or once every other week, you know, and, and you know, we just get together and we study the Bible. We, we, you know, we hang out, we talk, we eat, you know. So here's the great thing about it. Instead of saying, hey, how many community groups do you have in the church? Well, we have five or six, and again, they meet Tuesday or Thursday. Listen, if we do this correctly, and we will, and it's going to take work, and it's going to take patience, and it's going to take growth, but I guarantee you this, if we do this every single day of the week, almost every single day of the year, there will be some group from Upcountry Church meeting and, and growing and discipling one another and reaching people in this community. Doesn't that sound amazing? I mean, it sounds amazing because that's what Jesus said to do. When Jesus left and, and, and he filled the, and the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, they stayed in Jerusalem for a while and then they were dispersed, but it said they, they did not, they, they, they got together every single day. Now, in our modern day society, we're not going to ask you to all come together every single day. But you know what? Someone from our church will be getting together probably every single day. Because your, your community groups, you, they can take place in your home. They can take place on a Zoom call. They can take place at a, at a restaurant. Why? Because you're not dragging 50 people in there with, you know, huge Bibles, you know, and, you know studying and reading. It's five to seven people. If it, if it continues to grow and people keep bringing people, then we say, all right, now it's time for you to start a new group and you to start a new group. So we, they, they can happen any day, any hour, anywhere. And, and I promise you this, as we begin to do this, people in this community is going to, are going to say, what is going on at, at Upcountry Church? How will they know? Because somebody has asked them to be a part of their five or seven people. Now again, I'm not expecting you to grasp all of it. It's not complicated. I'm not saying that. I'm not expecting you to say, okay, I got it, and this is exactly how it's going to work. But we're, we're, we're going to work this process beginning again next week. There's going to be about 15 to, 15 to 20 of you that will be receiving a call from me this week. Uh, some of you I've already spoken to, and you are one of the 15 people that will start a group like right now, not, not, not today, but in the coming weeks. So we've already grown, right? Once you answer that, my call, <laughs> and you say, yes, I'm willing to do that. I'm going to pick my five, or I might assign some people to you. Listen, we've already grown from four community groups to 15, right? That's pretty exciting. So uh, again, next week, I'm going to call some of you, I'm going to get your buy-in. I'm going to, you're going to say, yep, man, that's me. I'm ready to do that. Next week, some of you are going to sign up and say, I'm picking five people. I'm going to take your name. I'll be in contact with you every single week. I'll answer any questions you have every single week. You call me at any time. Some of you are going to say, you know what? I know that I'm a believer in Christ, but I'm not ready yet to pick my five. I want to be a part of somebody's five. And we'll, we'll put you where you want to be and where you need to be. But listen, guys, I promise you this. I believe with all my heart that God did not uproot Pastor Rob and Mary Beth from South Carolina to, to, to Alaska and bring them back just for this. And this is amazing. 
But I believe he did that because now each and every one of us is taking the mantle of Paul with Timothy. We're taking the mantle of, 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 of Barnabas with Mark. And, and we're going to be able to say, as Pastor Rob says to us, follow me as I follow Christ. Students, you're going to be able to say to people in your high school and middle school, follow me. We're going to start uh, uh, community groups within the high school. Isn't that cool? And if I'm asking, and we get excited about that. Oh, yeah, teenagers. So if I'm asking the teenagers to do it, I'm asking you to do it. Why? Because Jesus has called you to do it. He's equipped you to do it. If you're a believer in Christ, the same spirit, this is, I'm going to end on this, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And the reason he lives in you is to do for you what he did for the disciples. He gave them boldness to proclaim the gospel and to disciple people. The same spirit is in you, and we're going to do it together. Tonight, I'm sure um, maybe somebody in your mind right now, you're thinking, great, it just blew apart my group. Right? Because I know, I know that our groups have been tight-knit all these years, and some of you have met with the same people year after year after year, and you've had some, some great community, great fellowship, great times of discipleship. But this is a moment where you have to choose, okay? Fidelity to my plan or obedience to his, right? Because this has to be more than just about us coming together to do what we do consistently. It's time to go out and be disciples who make disciples. And I, and I promise you, I believe this with every fiber in me, every 100%, I believe this. If we will do this faithfully, we will see more people come to Christ in 2021 than we've ever seen at Upcountry Church in the last eight years, without question. So I just want to ask you guys, if you're with me, if you're with Pastor Jason, with Mary Beth, with Pastor Alex, if you're with us, with Pastor Chris, if you're with the staff, if you're with the leadership, if you're with this body, the, the men and women to your left and right, you say, yep, this is where we're going. Would you stand with me right now? And we're going to close in prayer. Father, thank you for these men and women and a, and a desire that goes beyond what they can come here and get, but a desire for what they can give, Lord, a desire to share you, life, with other people. And as Pastor Jason said, it won't always be smooth or easy. There will be some hiccups and bumps in the road. There always are. Uh, when you turn us in another direction and send us 400 miles up a dangerous river valley with our sandals on. But it's your plan. And as long as we're in your will, it's actually the safest place we can be. So God, I thank you for your vision. Now it's time for us. We've received the vision. It's time for us to go and preach the gospel to them. It is time for us to go and preach the gospel to them. May we do it faithfully, joyfully this year like never before. I ask your, your great blessings on these people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I love you guys very much. You're my favorite people. I hope you have a great week. I can't wait to see you guys uh, next Sunday. and It will be more as we go.
Until then, have a great time this week. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. You're dismissed.